hoping it stays quiet enough to continue recording, welcome to Hand of Pod. recording session today. We decided to record early because it's uh, the only time it's guaranteed to be quiet in my flat. We have a gentleman upstairs hitting things with hammers and the dog next door barking as loudly and annoyingly as ever. Hopefully this guy upstairs has gone off on his lunch break, so allow me, without further ado, before he comes back, to introduce myself and my colleagues. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined today in my living room by Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? Uh, by Dan Edwards. Hello, lovely to be back again. Better known as English Dan. And Ilan Rubin. Glad to be back. Who's back for his third appearance, I yeah, believe, on Hand of Pod, sure. after mysteriously being left out of the group emails for a long time with Gmail decided I'm not sure to it's happen. an anti wrestling conspiracy. Yes, no clearly. Yeah. Um, we have only one round this week to, to review, which is fantastic, because next week we're going to have two rounds on Friday or one round on Monday and another on Friday or something to review again because there's another midweek uh, round of matches um, what's happened notable stuff let's have a look in the fourth round we had some good matches yeah it's pretty entertaining Be- yeah. beginning with the very first one which was a five goal thriller between Lanus and Vélez Sarsfield which ended 3-2 as five goal thrillers tend to um, <laughs> to to the home side uh, who caught there were two games on Friday weren't there it was that one and the next one was on Friday um, which wasn't quite as good who who caught it no. wonderful I found <laughs> it entertaining partly because Tell us about it, partly because after um, Rob Brown moaning about how Argentine fullbacks don't attack never cross the halfway line uh, we had um, uh, Lucas Mancinelli of Lanús in particular who was basically camped out on the edge of the Venice uh, penalty box for about the opening 15 minutes or so. Emiliano Papa got forward to score a fine consolation goal for Venice quite late on from the edge of the six yard box. There were lots of attacking fullbacks. It was almost as if they'd been listening to the Hand of Pod episode that had gone up a couple of hours before it kicked off. Um, but yeah, decent game. Two teams who were involved in the Libertadores this week, of course, Venice played last night against Atletico Paranaense um, at home in Linares. Uh, the team that Adriano now plays for I discovered when it kicked off um, it was about as big as the stadium um, and they won 2-0 very yeah. deserved victory very as well great performance yeah. uh, so it's quite clear what Vélez are prioritising it's also quite clear what Lanús are prioritising I think the, the Libertadores is priority for them um, but in this meeting of two of the Libertadores bound sides uh, Lanús were the better were the big relegation clash also on Friday, um, all boys beat Olimpo by a goal to nil. That ended Olimpo's. No, it didn't end Olimpo. I've been saying that the last few days. Olimpo already lost, didn't they? Yeah, in the previous game. But to it just goes to show that the form work in Argentine football means absolutely nothing. Mm. You know, I think we all had it locked on at least a draw or Olimpo victory, and then all boys suddenly just pull out a result from somewhere else. And on the statistics, it really was. Somehow it was Juan Carriaga scored after about seven minutes, and after that, um, all, all boys didn't have another shot on yeah. target. Olimpo completely, I think they had about 60% possession, something like four or five shots on target, and ten off or something. And I thought that's the only left. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Um, after that, we had, well, we'll get on to the other one later because you two are here. Um, other notable results from the You've weekend. You've got to say, they're returning mules. They're back, yeah. aren't they? Surely they're back. In spectacular fashion. Fantastic um, performance. They just absolutely destroyed. Rafaela were, were coming, of course, off, as we said last week, off their first ever victory against Boca Juniors, which, regardless of what a state uh, Boca Juniors are in, is still an historic moment for them as a club. Um, they arrived in Rosario. It's a very short trip for them. It's, well, not very short, but it's the same province, isn't it? They're both in Santa Fe. Um, 
and they were playing a Newell side who hadn't scored yet in 2014, who hadn't won in 12... No, sorry, they hadn't scored from open play in 2014, they scored a penalty last week. Hadn't won in 12 uh, league matches, and they got absolutely massacred. Uh, it was 2-0 after 8 minutes, it was 2-1 after 17 minutes, because Rafael got a penalty to pull it back, and then in the second half, Newell's were just blew them away. Newell's won after 12 matches. Yeah. Yeah. In the league, yeah, thir- 13 if we include the Libertadores defeat. And you probably um, can't say that they played any better or any worse than other games they've had during that 12 game run. The difference was that the goals arrived. You know, it's the same yours as ever, pressuring, yeah. getting the ball into the box, but this time, it, you know, everything just went right. After so long with everything going wrong, you know, everything clicked. I think uh, Casco opened the score <laughs> with an excellent, kind of, an excellent team move and a beautiful little finish. Mm. And then from there, it was just. Yeah, well, Niels and a real, really fantastic performance. Probably one of the best we've had so far this season. Encouragingly for them. Sorry, Lam. Yeah. Um, go. That actually, you can't expect anything from any team in Argentina other than Niels, Vélez, San Lorenzo and Lanús. Probably other than the bad results they've got been getting lately. Uh, Niels, maybe Vélez a little bit, just uh, Lanús also. Don't mean anything. They're the most regular teams, they have the best squads, and they know what they're playing. The other teams just can win or lose a couple of matches, but you can expect nothing from from any other team. That mm. those yeah, all well, the other games are just random, really. Defensive yeah. turns up on the day, what goes right, the calls they get, the penalties. Like, yeah, but yeah, I'd agree that those four teams are just a cut above. And uh, yeah. encouragingly for Newell's, um, well, two things encouraging for Newell's. First of all, Fabian Munoz. Um, scored for a all three strikers scored um, very and impressive. well yeah yeah uh, Maxi Rodriguez um, and uh, Victor Figueroa were the other goal scorers for Niels uh, but the other encouraging thing is that Martin Tonso came back from an injury which has kept him out for some time which in terms of David Tresegue's 36 year old knees um, and the fact that Newells don't actually have very many centre forwards is, is encouraging for them um, he came off the bench with how long to go when does it say came on uh, oh with about five minutes to go so he didn't play a lot of the game but he is back in action and we'll see whether he plays in fact I saw Tonso play the reserves match against Gimnasia I went to see the match for another reason but he was back in action good as ever hmm. That's what's, what, what was surprising for me in that match is, was the amount of goals because uh, Nurs has I think Munoz is the uh, apart from Trece the only uh, striker that is always in the in the box. Uh, we have Tonso, he, he's back, and and then uh, Figueroa, who, who aren't uh, natural strikers, are more like second striker, or or, or they are of offensive mid- midfielder perhaps. And Munoz is, it was a surprise for me because uh, he wasn't, he didn't have very good productions up to now, and and, mm. and four goals to Rafaela, uh, which. Uh, ha, ha, has been solid, uh, uh, remarkable against Boca. Uh, that's uh, that was the highest highest point. Uh, uh, was surprising surprising for me at least the the, the amount of goals four goals, mm-hmm. and news was uh, as you said hadn't hadn't scored a, a single goal in the in in 2014 right. They they had the penalty as I said yeah. in the previous round, but they they hadn't scored anything from open play at all. Um, Elsewhere, we had Estudiantes losing their first match of the, the... Well, not the first match of the year, it was the first defeat of the year. Uh, they lost for the first time this year. Um, and it was Boca Juniors' first victory since yeah. November, even including the summer um, friendlies. Very much needed. How, how did it happen? Juan Roman Riquelme played again, that's how it happened. He did, um, and he, as we said last he week. had a couple of decent touches at the end. Yeah. Of it. He looked like he was, he was back. As, as we said last week, Boca tend to win 50% of the points available when Riquelme features and only about 18% of them when he doesn't feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that he came on for the last 10 minutes when the game was already won at 1-0 yeah. um, was what sealed the victory, clearly. Yeah, it was very much uh, a Bianchi win. No? Like, in the first half, they they got the goal from Gigliotti. You know, uh, long ball into the area, he, he knocked it away. And then they just played very solidly. Watched most of the first half, not that much of the second, but I think the second was more of the same. Like they were tight. And yeah. They could have even had um, a few more, but Rulli um, was impressive again. And yeah, I think it was a fair result on balance. Uh, Boca 
much, much better than they had against Rafaela and, and Asuela. As Dan said before, the matches, most of them are like random. And that's why Boca even paid less than Estudiantes, mm-hmm. a, a team that hasn't won for almost, I don't know, four or five months. And another one who was, was top of the league. And it paid less. It was incredible. But still, we all knew that Boca could take a win because... Yeah. It's still Boga, and I. What I like about the fans is that as soon as Bianchi came out, they were cheering for him. Mm-hmm. So that's like a really great sign of support for him, and that may make the players relax a bit mm. because the pressure is off them. It's to the coach. Yes, I think the match that match defined a lot of things. Not only a result, not only three points, because uh, I can say it was like a patient in a hospital and. and and that decided whether the the patient were out of the hospital or or or, or goes into intensive care. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was very very high pressure, and and Yanchi was, I think that media pushed him uh, uh, to so, uh, that he said for him to say uh, well yes if I lose uh, I I can uh, quit uh, something like that. The media wanted that, and and he like resisted. Of course, helped by the players first and people then. Uh, we know that uh, people, that the crowd in the Bombonera is not the same playing a, a match uh, like against Belgrano with no no crowd than against Estudiantes with all the crowd singing and, and shouting for Bianchi to stay. That's not the same, definitely. That's one thing I think you can say about Boca fans, you know. Whatever you can say, whatever you like about them, and I'm sure we have, but they're, they're a pretty low bunch. You know, compared to some of the other big teams, they're not ones that just fill the stadium with booze and unless it's really desperate, unless if you've got someone like Bianchi on uh, on the touchdowns, they're going to stay behind him and they'll, you know, they're not going to be asking for his head ever, for, really, I don't think. Well, for how long do you think they're not? Because there were, there were whispers before the game, how, how much longer does one win give Bianchi? Um, In terms of the fans, you know, I don't think they're... They're going to get on his back. I, mean, I think they respect what he's done. You know, we will say fans here have pretty short memories, but I think in the case of Boca, it's not that um, not that short to be honest. And in, terms, in terms of the, board. the issue is the board, how long they will go. You know, because let's not forget they might continue supporting Bianchi, but they wouldn't. The fans wouldn't have any problem and on turning on the board. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think that with Ramon Diaz and Bianchi and Merlo. It's very difficult to sack a manager like them. Um, the right answer for that would be if he feels he can take the team out of this situation, let him continue. And if he feels that there's no answer to his problems, then he can step to the side. Mm-hmm. With the three of them, that's I think that's the, the right answer for a fan, for example. Right. Not necessarily the right answer for the club. No, the right answer definitely, not, yeah. definitely <laughs> not the right answer for the club. Yeah. Um, the reason, of course, that we mentioned Mostaza Merlo and um, Ramon Diaz, as well as uh, Carlos Bianchi, apart from the fact that they're legendary managers yeah. at clubs where they a great, um, great success and everything. It was a great cover for the La Nación Sports Supplement the other day. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it, it's like Los Tres Prosteres, and how they were in trouble, like, with their faces superimposed on like, San Martín's body and yeah. Belgrano's body. It's nice. good fun just saying like, how it's not quite working out for all three of them. Mm. The reasons we're probably going to now. Um, indeed, both of the other two, Bianchi of course got the the three one win. Both of the other two also scored one goal. Um, both of them, however, Bianchi got the one nil win. I should have said both of them lost three one away from home um, in a weekend in which, in fact, there were eight home victories. Uh, it wasn't until the ninth, sorry, the eighth, sorry, the, yes, that's right, eight, eight home victories. It wasn't until the ninth out of the ten matches that we saw a draw. Um, two of the games on on Monday ended in draws. But both Racing and River played away from home on Saturday, no, Friday and Sunday. Um, Racing, first of all, away to Arsenal. Have they learned anything? No, apparently not. They, they concede from a set piece against Tigre, first of all, okay. and then uh, they're playing one of the sides who, as we saw last night in the Copa Libertadores, at one of the best sides in South America are attacking dead balls. Uh, how did that go for them? It was exactly the same goals that we saw in uh, San Lorenzo when they went down 1-0 with the kind of half volley from Blandi and the same goal in Tigre and then three of the same basically in 
against Arsenal. Just completely pitiful. I think Ilan said before uh, before we came on air, just amateur defender from it's all like four of the defence. And Saka to a lesser extent, you know. He's not the same Saka who just would smash heads together and tell him to, uh, to stop fucking about. It was, you know, diabolical, all three goals. It's like the players just had met themselves in the mm-hmm. dressing room. Exactly. It looked like that and the defence was improvised but still, how can you foul Arsenal players on three-fourths of the pitch? You know mm-hmm. you don't have to make... They, they play set pieces. The only way they score is that one. The one sec- of them was from a throw-in. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, yeah. like stop the match and go home. Yeah. You can't concede from a throw-in and you, we're supposed to have like top defenders mm-hmm. which... But they didn't even head the ball. Mm. Bichard tried to clear the ball with an overhead kick on the first goal, so that was just, and he missed. It was terrible. And what you see is when Racing concedes a goal, they become desperate. They just lose all orientation in the pitch. They don't know where they're standing, and they, the match is lost. Mm-hmm. There's no way coming back from that. So that's a psychological work that Racing needs to do to learn how to come back from matches, not getting desperate. And well, no. I don't know, like which is going to be the defence for uh, Friday's match because that one was improvised and was actually uh, absolutely I don't want to even no. say the word uh, atrocious. atrocious completely and but we don't have any other players because we have <coughs> sorry two injured yeah. so I think at least Ortiz will come back yeah Ortiz that's... will come back and I would try Bichar as uh, left uh, right back mm-hmm. but Merlo is not going to do that so I don't really have an answer for that yeah, it was a strange game because I think overall, you know, taking out the defence, which was, you know, all these goals, we should say, all four goals came in the first half. Um, it was very briefly one all after Saka equalised from the penalty spot. And overall, I think Racing had more possession. They, you can't say that they didn't fight, they didn't go forward, they didn't try and get the goals, but... Just, there's lack just so many deficiencies and lack of back a, and lack of ideas. Yeah, lack, lack of ideas. There's no, you know, it's an old cliche. You know, people say, you know, they fell away or they haven't got yeah. balls, they haven't got attitude. But I think that's the problem with racing. It's just yeah, a lack of ideas and a lack of lack of imagination and a lack of pres- and you know talent. When basically. you're so insecure at back, it's really yeah. difficult to gain confidence up, up front. But that's the truth. Racing started yeah. pretty well. And then when they conceded, just the match was yes. over. And we've just seen the uh, statistics come up. We had um, Racing had 13 shots, only two on target, 57% of the possession. No, that's 13 off target and two on. So 15 at yeah. 15 shots. 57% of the possession. Which is. And you fact, can't even say they were better, you know, they controlled the game. So which something's is, gone wrong. Which is a very sort of similar. Um, Situation to the one that River Plate found themselves in on Sunday. They were away to Colon. Colon, of course, have won twice in a row after that incredible uh, run of 15 games without a win. Um, and River dominated possession even more. Uh, River had 74% of the possession in an away game, remember. Uh, they had 14 shots, but they only managed to get two of them on target. Colon had three shots on target and two off. All of the three on target went in the net. Um, and River just even though they had three quarters of the possession in the match they never looked at all and the thing is that Colón actually doesn't have first class players doesn't know how to play really good set pieces so it's just like an orderly team Colón are basically playing with kids at the moment well I saw a statistic the other day just after that game Um, it's one of the Argentine Twitter statistics accounts like footage or something along those lines Mm. And someone had asked, like, what's the average age of the Colón team and their squad? And the team on Sunday was 24 average, 24 years old. The squad, 20. Yeah. And well, that says something about what, they're, what the, they're up against. The worst team in the last season. So it's I think, well, would they, be, would they have been worse than Racing if they now, had the six points off? Yeah, uh, they, got, no, they got three off only, but they were yeah. similar. Now Colón are over Racing this whole season. Yeah. What I was going to say is that I didn't know if you were talking about Racing or River because both are, are, are going similar ways. Yeah, it's the same. Putting it's everything same. forward but without ideas and defending and worse at the back. Yeah. When Racing won against Colón, they were saying we won against nobody. It's not even a measure. And Colón is now three matches won and one only lost against Racing. So that shows how in Argentine football anything can happen. The matches are completely random. Mm. Well, it was Merlo that said, I think, after the first fixture, you know, I think the journalists said they were they were candidates for the title. 
and he said, right, we might be candidates, but there's 19 other candidates. Mm. And that's basically a reflection. Like, he's completely spot on, but it's a reflection of how mediocre the league is. You know? Maybe 18, because you probably wouldn't include Kilmes, to be honest. But other than that, all the games you know, are up for grabs. And that's because you know, it's just a really mediocre, yeah. random level. You wouldn't include Kilmes, and you possibly also wouldn't include Tigre because they just can't score goals. Um, they drew nil-nil with Argentinos oh, Juniors. It was disgusting, a fifth man. consecutive clean sheet for Tigre, which is impressive. Um, but Ariel Noel Pan particularly missed some chances. He's meant to be a good striker, and he's played he's well. Really good. He's, he's played well good. for them, yeah. apart from he's putting really it in good. the net. Yeah, he's a very um, awkward striker. He unsettles defenses. He runs well, but yeah. He's, yeah, he's kind of like an out-of-the-box striker. Hmm. It's a lot of kind of self-sacrificing for others, but he doesn't necessarily get in that many scoring oh, chances. He's really put a phenomenal header just over the crossbar yeah, late on against uh, Argentinos, which was just... I really like him, and I think that Tigre are going to do well. Um, they have to start scoring, which they will eventually, but they're very intelligent when they play. Maybe not as nice to look at as another team, maybe news. <clears throat> but still, what, what they do is very intelligent on the pitch, and they have an idea, which is a lot to ask now in Argentina. And they play against Kilmes this weekend, so that's why I, I think Nahuel Pan will have his first one or two goals uh, scored in this in well, this uh, tournament. And Kilmes also has, apart from the, the the natural problems they have, and Caruso Lombardi as the coach, is that uh, they they have problems with the goalkeeper that well Perata wasn't. Yeah, uh, secure enough uh, against Colón he was like surprised by the two goals uh, one from Graziani and the other one I don't remember who but who, who was the, the, the scorer but the ball literally escaped from the from the hands of Perata and that motivated uh, Caruso Lombardi to uh, put uh, Silvio Dulcich instead of, of, of him and that's something well when you don't have a, a, a goalkeeper that is fixed in, 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 in the goal in the goal that's a, a serious problem, and well, in this, in this case, I think Tigre will, will, as Ilan said, will do good in a good match, and for me, Nahuel Pan will, will have his first uh, one or two goals in scored in this in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I think that actually Caruso sooner or later will start getting points. I don't know when, but that's a fact. That's not even random. He's going to get a lot of points in Kilmes, a lot for the ones he's going to play. I'm not saying that. Kilmers are going to stay. I'm not taking that risk, but sooner or later, Kilmers will just tidy up in defense and just start scoring strange goals, but goals at last. Yes, uh, another big um, relegation cl- well relegation clash in the sense that Central have only got one season on, so it's important for them to keep winning for next season as well. Um, came in Mendoza where Central visited Godoy Cruz, and as you will have guessed if you've been listening, when I said most of the matches ended in home wins, you'll know who won already. Uh, Godoy Cruz won, it was 3-0, and three, well, one slightly fortuitous goal, there was a bit of a deflection from Gonzalo Castellani, uh, followed by two absolute screamers. Fantastic hat-trick for him, on on his return from injury as well, I think it was. Yeah, you put in an absolutely fantastic game, and it's what Godoy Cruz needed, it's an there are another of these teams that seemed really down at the start of the season, but I think now they've done what Colón did, right? They've put together three straight wins and, mm. yeah, right up there at the top. But more importantly for them, I think they were a tip or many to go down this season. But I think with that win, they've really they've given themselves a bit more of a cushion. Again, you see how Godi Cruz failed to win at Argentinos. And Argentinos didn't win after that match. They won 2-1. Two, two and Godi Cruz just won three straight matches, so it's pretty unexpected what's going to happen. That's a good thing, I guess. I mean, a good thing with the bad things around them, but still a good thing for Argentine football. And the um, the other side have won three in a row since uh, after losing the first match of the uh, torneo final, uh, San Lorenzo. So uh, the 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 champions. Um, so of course, Estudiantes got their first loss this weekend. They they won three in a row and then lost, but the other three all lost and then won three in a row. So we have four teams at the moment on nine points from four games. Andres? Yes. Do you know why Farro is not playing well? Because Lertura and Castellani are playing at Godoy Cruz. And they are both former Ferro players. and well, They are good players. And, and Castellani has, a, I think, a bullet in his, in his feet. Mm. Uh, the, the three goals he scored were, well, were from, I, don't, I think, 
he can score those goals in Premier League, not in Argentina. Yeah, I, I can't remember which one was was better. I think the third was slightly better than the second. It was from a little bit further out, and it went in the top corner. The, the second was a really second nice one. strike um, as well. Though. Uh, look them up. Look them up on YouTube, please. You'll, you'll thank me for recommending them later. Other results, San Lorenzo beat Quilmes 1-0. Fairly standard win, really, for San Lorenzo, as we said last week. They're, they're winning just as they should. It's nothing exciting, but it's the champions appear to be back. It's hard. Still, it was hard for them to win. The match on the first half was a little Quilmes on the better side, I think. Not pretty of football, but just what Caruso knows how to play. They were a bit better, and on the second half, just they, they stopped a bit. Caruso's got a habit of doing this when he takes charge of... of uh, when he returns to one of his former clubs, and then you know, I think the same thing happened when he took Argentinos again last last season. One of his first matches in charge was away to San Lorenzo, who of course are another one of his former clubs, um, and possibly the only one of his former clubs who ought to be expected to win most of their games because they're by far the biggest club he's managed. Um, and he seems to try and just shut. Oh, I forgot he managed Racing, didn't he? Yes. Sorry. That wasn't deliberate, I, I completely forgot. What did he do with Racing? He saved them from relegation one year and then nearly put them back in relegation well, the following in. That, that sounds exactly like Caruso. Yeah. At first, he was really good. Well, the, it always happens with Caruso. It's hard for him to get a win. He tied with Argentinos, in a last-minute tie in Argentinos, his first match, then lost 4-1 against Tigre. Mm. And after that, he started doing well. The team was real bad, but he made sure to make another worse team for the, the, the next season gave the chance to 15 players that would have never thought of playing in Racing the chance to play in Racing and then just left and left them with the real bad players with us sounds very familiar it does sound very familiar um, but yeah he, he always anyway when he visits San Lorenzo at least he, he has a habit of trying to just shut up I don't mean his mouth unfortunately obviously he'd never do that um, put everybody in front of the goal part the bus as it were um, but San Lorenzo got through and I think deserved the win they, they were very lucky to get the goal they did though because it was Ignacio Piatti scored it after who was it who set it up it was great Correa Angel Correa right yeah Angel Correa sort of burst through the the, the centre um, and could really could and should have squared it to Piatti the first time um, I saw Rob when it was replayed tweet that basically Correa should have squared it the first time he was incredibly lucky to get a second opportunity to, to give it to Piatti I, I thought exactly the same thing because uh, he almost balls it up, he almost just puts it straight at Dulcich, the the goalkeeper. And as Andres sort of hinted, Dulcich spilled it back into Correa's path, and Correa was able to to cross um, for Piatti to to have a simple header in from right underneath the crossbar. That was ten minutes into the second half. Other games, I think we've covered pretty much everything now. We've just got Himnasia's two two draw against Belgrano to mention, which was a ridiculous game, fantastically entertaining. Himnasia took the lead after thirty something seconds through uh, Eric Correa, who later went off injured. He's out for eight months. That's a big blow for him now, because he's a really nice, uh, a good striker. Um, they were 2-0 up on the, in the 39th minute. Himnasia pulled, uh, Belgrano, sorry, pulled one back just before half-time, and Jorge Velasquez got the equaliser uh, for their final 2-2 two, two score about halfway through the second half. I was talking to, to a few of my followers on Twitter during this game, and they were making the point that this time during the Torneo Inicial, we were sort of saying it's a bit of a dull championship, not, not much is happening. Um, Argentine football's in, in the dogs. So far, this Torneo Final, we've had a really high number of really entertaining games. There's been Lanús Vélez and Gimnasia Belgrano just from, from this weekend, just gone. And also Newell's Rafaela, um, <clears throat> maybe not as... as thrilling in that Newells were clearly running away with it from about halfway through the second half onwards uh, but just some really nice football and just a number of other matches so far that have, have been fantastic like really exciting not necessarily maybe the highest standard but exciting stuff my theory is that defense has gotten so bad in Argentina that te- that matches are actually good again they score more goals that <laughs> has been happening for I think since 2010 onwards that's my theory you always have a negative take on these things, you know. <laughs> this is why we didn't have you on for so long. You're, you're making people want to stop listening about a crap league. I'm going to play some music now, and we shall come back after it and answer some questions, because we haven't got any national team stuff or anything to talk about today, have we? Oh, we do have one national team thing. It's nothing to do with the Argentine national team. But anyway, uh, don't go away.
the national team news that we were talking about is the Peruvian national team, who, it says here, uh, are going to send a director to... How would you translate? Abrochar. To finish off. Yeah, to find us. To to dot the I's and cross the T's uh, on Marcelo Bielsa's contract as the new manager of the Peruvian national team. Interesting. Interesting. I'm rather surprised because the uh, Peruvian FA in recent years have perhaps not been the best-run organisation in the world. Don't forget, of course, they almost got kicked out of FIFA uh, seven years ago or something, 2000, yeah, 2007 sounds about right. Um, and Bielsa has a track record of not working with people who he particularly doesn't want to work with. Um, I think he sees, what I can see is that there's definitely potential in the team and there's potential for someone like Bielsa. If you look at Peru, they've, you know, their biggest talents are all down the, you know, down the wings, really quick football, people like Farfan, uh, Advin Gula, who came in as well, like really exciting talents who can, you know, they're built to play attacking football really. Obviously Guerrero in the middle, Pizarro probably won't be lasting that long, but there's there's definitely talent there. So I can see why Bielsa would, would like a crack at them. It's definitely a challenge, but I think he's really going to like getting hold of that team and, and making it a Bielsista team. And it's going to be relatively easy for him to have an enormous impact as well because they started from a very low base. Um, oh, uh, you say that, but they finished third in the Copa America. They had a really good run in 2011. Obviously, qualifying was disappointing, but I think they got um, an underrated team. I think they've got more talent than qualifying uh, let on. They surely do have a great team and having been in Peru about one month ago, people were saying that this is one of the best Peruvian teams they have seen in the last couple of years, and they don't know if it's going to last for the next um, qualifiers, but really, the players are good. Marcarian was a good coach, I think. Something went wrong maybe, along the way. I don't know, really. Maybe a little too negative. Um, kind of, you like to play safe a little bit for that yeah. kind of team? It's so. a... 180 degree turn for Macarian really isn't it um, going going for Bielsa they were talking about Gareca as well before so it seems like the only consistency with that is that they're all Argentine um, they're all Real Platense <laughs> <laughs> why did I think Macarian was Argentine I know he's not Argentine why did I say that anyway never mind Andres I think the doubt uh, the biggest doubt in, in about uh, Bielsa being the coach of, of Peru national team uh, is how will players adapt to to the particular Bielsa method of, of working. Uh, he's very obsessive and, and well, I don't, I don't, I, I, I first uh, first of all don't don't can't fancy players uh, uh, adapt easily to, to to Bielsa, but we will see if fi he's finally abrochado. Uh, we will see if, if how, how it goes between Bielsa and players and, and the way he works. Yeah, if he does get confirmed as the, um, the Peru coach, another big question as well is going to be that, what Andres kind of hinted at, like the discipline. I think he's got a track record on this. He took over the Chile team, who as well have got a long, long history of fights going out on the piss, like misbehaving, everything. And he really did like impose his will and made him you know, sort of professional. And then you saw afterwards when Borghi came in, that all sort of fell apart again. So we know he can do it. He can, you know, put the put the boot down. I know there's players, you know, with great talent like um, Juan Manuel Vargas, who as well, he's got a reputation as a bit of a party boy. He's, you know, turned up to training drunk and not turned up at all. So it's going to be interesting how he gets on with those personalities. But as we saw with Chile, he's, if there's one person who can do it, it's, uh, it's Bielsa. Uh, I'm just going to apologise at this stage if you can hear banging in the background. I have lowered the, the pickup on the microphone and I'm now sticking it right in people's faces when they talk in order to try and get rid of the man upstairs who's hitting things with hammers. But it is coming through quite loudly. I don't know whether you can hear it or not, dear listeners. Anything more to say on Bielsa to Peru? I think that's it, isn't it? Um, what else has happened in the last few days off the pitch in Argentine football? I'm sure there's at least one thing that I'm forgetting about, but as I say, I'm forgetting about it, so it's quite tricky to 
Oh, that's a good one, yeah. I don't know whether the listeners heard that. Uh, Andres has just suggested that we talk about the stadium ban in the Monumental. That was indeed one of the two things that I wanted to talk about, and the other thing uh, has just popped back into my head. As we mentioned uh, last week, or the week, God knows when it was, because these midweek matches are confusing me, um, River Plate's last home match was against Godoy Cruz. Godoy Cruz got a stoppage time winner. Uh, they won 2-1. And, as we mentioned, uh, somebody tried to... Well, somebody mistook Leandro Grimi for a vampire, basically, and uh, threw a large stake of wood at his back whilst Godoy Cruz's players were celebrating. That gentleman has now been suspended, or, well, at least River Plate claimed that they have um, sent him a letter rescinding his membership and that he's not going to be allowed back onto club premises. Um, well done, them. And then, of course, as, as is their right to do, they had a word with the AFA and sort of tried to see whether they could avoid uh, getting a stadium ban. I, I say it, it's their right to do this because they're perfectly within their rights to talk to the AFA and try it. Rather surprisingly and unjustly, in my opinion, the AFA said, yes, OK, we won't close the entire stadium for the next match. So for River Plate's next home game, which is this weekend against San Lorenzo, um, the stand that the the guy was sitting in, the stand that he was a member, uh, that he paid for his seat in, um, is going to be closed. The Sibori, which is the Popular River, um, the other three stands are going to be open. Boca Juniors have had La Bombonera closed already once this year due to trouble at the end of the Donio Inicial. All boys had the same thing. Melissa Sarsfield had the same thing. Um, it's fair to say, as, as various people sort of semi-jokingly put on Twitter whenever this happens, that if it had happened in Chacarita, they'd have probably had the stadium closed for the entire season. Uh, when it happens with the club who perhaps just coincidentally own the stadium that the national team play in, River always seem to get off it more lightly. Do they not? Or is this just my perception of it? I've got to say, you know, not talking necessarily about bias or favouritism to big teams or because River has someone in Wendell or anything, but it's such a ridiculous punishment. It's kind of like, you know, if someone did a drive-by shooting, you don't put him in jail, you just take away his motorbike mm. and that'll solve it. Like, no, it just seems, you know, you're just going to close a part of the stadium. That's... Ridiculous. Or you leave it, you kick out the guy and you don't do anything or you shut down the whole stadium. Yeah. Like it seems like a you know, half measure that doesn't it's you know, punish him to do a punishment but not really wanting to, like it's, it seems pointless to me. River president Rodolfo Donofrio said uh after kicking the guy out of the club and but before going to talk to the AFA on on I think it was Friday, um, said it, it it's not fair to, to punish fifty five, sixty thousand people for the idiotic actions of one person. Of course, that's true, but it's also... It, it's not just the idiotic actions of one person. It's a major flaw in security. Um, and it's it's one example of, of a whole load of crap that's happened. I mean, the guy was... Uh, when we were talking a year and a half ago about the guy being stabbed to death by a Barra Brava, an innocent fan stabbed to death in exactly the same stand, funnily enough, in the Sibori Baja, in the Monumental, someone was killed inside the stadium, and all that resulted in as well was the Seabury being closed rather than the entire stadium. River have, of course, had full stadium closures in recent years, most notably when they went down to the B. But I think that was the last time the entire Monumental was closed down, wasn't it? I think the measure has to be done as an example, not really to for 55, 60,000 people, just so they know that that can't be done. They can't play at the stadium. That's why I think Donofrio just made a mistake saying what he said. I think that the problem is that, uh, of course... Uh, 50,000 people uh, are more than one, but if that only one uh, person throws something uh, to the pitch and and, and uh, seriously injures a, a, a rival, that has nothing to do with the, the amount of people. But with only one people throwing something, you have the possibility of injuring a, a player, and that's that's the serious point. Yeah. Uh, um, because if, if he had... Uh, died, for example. Oh well, one people died, uh, so one one uh, match the the stadium will be banned. That's something very very ridiculous. And, and um, uh, apart from that, it's like the the security organism was like saying, okay, if you identify the the people, the person that thrown the the wood and injured Grimi, uh, the Godoy Cruz player that was injured in the in the match. Uh, we will not uh, ban the stadium. That was something like that, and that's something we can't permit, or well, the uh, football can't permit, because that means that the other, the crowd, uh, the supporters, or supporters of other teams, will say, "Okay, we can throw something to, 
So they, 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 they still won't be banned. That's, that's, uh, that's true. Well, as we say, most other clubs, if something equivalent happens, do seem to have a stadium closure. I, I don't think that the... Personally, I don't think that the punishments are, are anywhere near strong enough in any case, but it definitely seems to be more lenient with River. And as I, as I say, I highly suspect that's got something to do with the fact that they own, essentially own the national stadium. The other point that I wanted to talk about was, it, in a way, linked to this uh, problem with security and violence in football. Did anyone see what Julio Grandona said yesterday? I know you did, Andres. He was uh, leaving the AFA after a, a, a meeting, and uh, it has to do with the fact that Los Andes, who are a lower division side, where does Los Andes play? In Lomas de Zamora. Of course, yeah, in, in uh, Greater Buenos Aires, down in the, the south of, of Buenos Aires conurbation. The Los Andes Board of Directors stood down en masse on, I think it was on Friday or Saturday, um, because uh, the Barra Brava decided to basically fill the walls of the club president's house with lead. Um, they didn't do this out of the kindness of their own hearts in order to make them bulletproof. It, it was lead from bullets, uh, which were fired out of guns. And so the Los Andes board stood down. The AFA had a um, an extraordinary meeting about it, or possibly just an, an ordinary meeting in which it was mentioned. And afterwards, yesterday, uh, TV journalists and radio journalists and print journalists were waiting outside for Senor Grondona, outside the AFA headquarters. And when he came out, they asked him, what are you going to do about this? What, why can't you do it? And Grondona's response was, well, why don't you take charge? Because all the journalists are in on this anyway. It, it, it's, it's enchanting to know, isn't it, that, that there is a gentleman at the very top of Argentine football who's really taking these issues seriously. He, he, he actually used the words, what does the AFA have to do with it, uh, when the subject of the Barra Bravas was brought up. I mean, the thing is, can we really expect Grondona to care now? He's never cared since 1979 about the violence, about the barra. If he doesn't care or he's got interest. And now, apparently, he's going to be stepping down in 2015. He's going to care even less. He's got to mark his time, keep funneling money out to Switzerland and, you know, not make the country explode and it'll be fun. What has he got to lose? Why is he going to, after, you know, how many years? 35? Yeah. 35 years this October, yeah. After 35 years of turning a blind eye, what? We're expecting him to suddenly tackle the biggest problem in Argentine football now? Nah, it's not going to happen. One of the most famous phrases uh, heard from him is everything goes on, todo pasa. Uh, so that's, that says everything. Indeed. Um, I'm going to play a little bit more music now and then we shall come back in a second and we'll answer some listeners' questions. We're recording earlier in the day than normal, but we have got one or two, so don't go anywhere. Okay, the first question is from Jason, who says, I've frequently heard Ramon Diaz mentioned as a bad fit at present for River. Could the panel extrapolate? I don't think it's so much that he's a bad fit for River, particularly at present. I think it's more uh, that a number of us feel he might be a bad fit for modern football. Um, as we mentioned earlier with, with Bianchi and Merlo as well, perhaps at Racing, um, these guys come in, they might or might not have, have an immediate impact and uh, see an upturn in form, as Merlo certainly did last year at Racing. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're the most modern thinkers tactically. Um, there's been a lot mentioned by some River fans since Ramon took charge um, about the fact that, yes, he's the most successful manager in River's history. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was playing with such fantastic players un under him uh, previously in the 90s when he won the Copa Libertadores and numerous championships. He had Francescoli, uh, Crespo came up through, Sorin and, and various other players. So I'm not so, uh, I'm not so sure it's it, River specifically uh, the issue for, for Diaz. I think it's more, he's, he's one of a sort of coterie of um, older managers who, who were very successful uh, 15 to 20 years ago and who no longer are, basically. River might be better off served by going for a, a younger, perhaps more, more up-and-coming name. Along the lines of Pizzi, maybe, or a name like that, rather than always going back to, uh, to Diaz. 
they don't have the money for PC now, of course, now that PC's gone to Valencia, but yeah, exactly, that, that kind of, um, that kind of, of manager. Paul Odegaard says, uh, I wouldn't mind hearing some opinion on Eber Banega's impact at Newell's. Um, Andreas says, sign me up as well. Banega's been a huge boost for Newell's. I don't think any of us would deny that Banega's a fantastic player and has been very good for Newell's. What we have said, of course, is that they perhaps should have signed a striker rather than signing him. But how's he been for Newell's? I think one thing you can say about Banega, which is you know a real compliment both to the team and, and him, is that you watch the games and you barely notice where he is. Like he's just fitted so seamlessly into the system. You know, he gives them that presence in the field that they've always had. In you know, in the midfield three, and yeah, he looks like he's he's just always been there, and he's just another part of the part of the machine. I think there's no real higher praise than that. I, I sincerely, the only match I watched him play uh, at Newell's was against Boca. But I think that uh, that he's a, that kind. That those kind of players that you like to watch even when they not don't play that good because the quality that he has makes makes you have uh, expectations about he his his skills and his the level he he might have so uh, i think that is a plus for 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 news uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly uh, to to do uh, like a, a double five uh, with uh, I, I well I don't remember now the name of the other play, the other number five the midfielder Mateo. Diego Mateo Mateo or Bernardi. or Bernardi yes uh, thanks Ilan uh, so yes I think that uh, that he's uh, he he will make the 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 entire team uh, level go up uh, undoubtedly for me Ilan do you have anything to add just that by far news midfield is the best in the country they have two World Cup players and for one of the best national teams. So surely they're going to do good long-term or short-term. They're going to do good. Mm. We've then got a couple that were sent. Th- th- those were all sent in last night. So thank you very much to those guys who were uh, following me on Twitter when I made an early request for questions. Uh, Ed Malian sent one in about an hour ago asking, who is your favorite Correa, Eric, Angel or Joaquin? I think you can answer for all of us. That's easy. Angel, right? Yeah. I'm going to go for Rafael, the president of Ecuador, just to you know, come a bit out of left field. He's having some trouble now. He lost some local elections, but you know, he's reshuffling the cabinet, and we're going to see what happens there. I have high hopes. Not that Eric is a bad player, but just Angel Correa. You can see so much future in that kid. Mm. They're, they're all very good. Eric is only 21. Angel's 19. Joaquin, how old is Joaquin? He's 18, right? He's just broken into the Bella's first team, really. Uh, is that right? Hang on, 18. No. Oh, Joaquin's 19 years old. In fact, I've just um, just looked him up. Uh, he's going to be turning 20 in August. Uh, Dan, you look like you wanted to say something. I was just going to say that um, Rafael's a little bit older than, than those three, but yeah, he's still got potential. He can go for a while. Joaquin, in fact, plays for Estudiantes as well. He doesn't play for Vélez. So who was I think? Is, is there another Correa at Vélez? Jorge, right? Um, yeah, there, there is, there's another uh, J Correa as well which doesn't help to make it any less uh, confusing does it with Joaquin uh, Jorge Correa a 21 year old who's playing for Vélez I think he's played for them before this season but he's only really kind of exploded onto the scene uh, so far in the Toneo final he's chipped in with a couple of, of really nicely taken goals um, but I think yeah we, we've got to say Angel as our collective hand of pod favourite because he's as uh, Ilan says clearly the, the best of, the, of a very talented bunch of Correa brothers they're not really brothers isn't there a Correa also in gimnasia that he no Eric Correa ah, that's the one oh, sorry well now now he's injured so uh, today that that the the president Onofri particularly similar to Donofrio uh, uh, said that it will be very difficult to 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 get a, a something someone who who a substitute for him he, he was a, a, a starting lineup a striker and very very difficult to get another one yeah, he's out for the rest of the season. As I said earlier, he's out for eight months, which means um, that Gimnasia will uh, are likely to be given uh, an allowance by the AFA to sign a player outside the transfer window. Uh, I think he has to be on a free, but they're allowed to, to register him outside the registration window um, to replace him. But as Onofri says, uh, he's he's going to be a very tricky player for a, a club like Gimnasia to, to replace. Uh, so Mark Hughes asks, uh, it's linked in fact to, to Malian's question just now, Angel Correa is linked to a lot of high-profile clubs. Do you think he'll move to Europe soon and do you think he will cut it? I think it's the first one, the first question, do you think he'll move to Europe soon? Yes, end of this season. Uh, do we think he'll cut it? Ilan? 
I think that definitely he's going to go to an European club. A good one probably in a short term. But actually, he needs to work on a couple of things. He's still very young and he's on a very, very good level right now. But with youngsters, at least here in Argentina, I think in most of the world, when they come out, they're just completely no pressure on them. They play really well and they just start getting like a little bit down, as we see with Vieto. Vieto at his best moment, I think, is as good as Correa, and now he's a sub in Racing. So he will need to work a lot to to get first team in Europe, and he will need to work a lot to get better as a player, a complete player, I think. Yeah, maybe just a little bit more on on his intelligence on the pitch. He's obviously got an incredible raw talent, but I think we mentioned before um, for that goal against um, Quilmes on the weekend, the one 0 he gave the assist, but. He was a little bit lucky. He got two bites at the at the cherry, and you know, when you're in Europe, you're only going to get one chance of that. So he's got to learn maybe to give the ball a bit more. I think this season, what I've seen from him, he's got a little bit better at that. His distribution is is improved. His his intelligence is a bit more developed, but he's got to kind of carry on that same that same way. Yeah, I think he's still not mature enough to to go to Europe, and and apart from that, uh, we will have to see what happens with his. He he his uh, transfer is o- owned by a, a narco. By so yes, yeah. yeah, so uh, narco being uh, I'll just repeat because I don't know whether the listeners actually pick that up because it didn't come through very loudly on the mic. Narco being uh, drug traffickers, as English Dan has just uh, translated. Yeah, so well uh, that was mentioned by by I think newspaper by by Canchasena, and then uh, the the that uh, was like left aside, but. Uh, we will have to see what happens with that. If he can go to play another country with no problems. With I believe that the AFA have stepped in and uh, done something to extract his registration from the hands of the people that it was previously in. So I think that he's going to be allowed to, to move um, with a combination of AFA and San Lorenzo getting some of the fee and possibly the government because there's clearly something uh, illegal that's happened. It was a money laundering investigation um, into why exactly his his registration was being held by these people. David McGonagall asks a very easy answer to the question, have AFA lifted the ban on away fans? The answer is no. There you go. Won't happen before the end of this season. I'd be quite surprised if it happens before the end of this year. Um, God knows when they'll be allowed back in. Uh, Nathaniel Bovin says, best lower league match day experience in Argentina, excluding big names like Independiente. I think basically that just means excluding Independiente. Um... There are, there are other big names in the lower leagues, but they're much more tied to the lower leagues. At, at present, we've got Central and Gimnasia and so on, currently in the Primera. So, uh, Dan? I think for that to answer that, you probably have to look for um, the big clubs from different kind of provincial centres that are down in the second or third division. So you've got Tacheres, of course, in Corva or Instituto even, um, in Tucumán, San Martín, have a very fanatical fan base, um, Unión, of course, in Santa Fe. Uh, teams like that really kind of not so much in in the greater Buenos Aires. You have some really big teams, uh, Chicago, but you probably die when you go to the stadium. Um, yeah, along that, I'd say go to um, to one of these big kind of urban centres outside of Buenos Aires, and you'll get the the best experiences. Well, I think first, Independiente is not the best match they experience. I think my colleagues would uh, would say that. You're asking a panel consisting of two Racing mem- uh, members here, remember. I share 100% with what Elan says. First, just let, let's get... If you want to try, you see, like, half stadium, you can go there. Um, but no, but really, I assume maybe he's travelling here, and if he wants to see in Buenos Aires some good atmosphere in the lower leagues, I would try maybe Banfield. It's a small stadium, but they're doing really well, so they must be really packed. And maybe Huracan, I guess, but not much more than that. Well, I kind of definitely want to recommend. I've not been since they've gone down, but I went a few times when they were in the Primera, um, still in 2010 and 2011. Um, and apart from anything else, it's just a beautiful stadium. I mean, e- even if you see an awful match and the atmosphere is horrible, fantastic ground. It's like travelling in time, actually, because you you think you're in the 60s or the 70s, maybe, because the stadium hasn't been touched from that time, and it's just impressive to be there. M- most of them haven't been touched since that time, but Urakans is uh, was was better looking to begin with. Let's say it's, it's just a, it's known as the palace, and I think that's that's fitting. Yeah. Well, that was exactly why it was used in El Secreto de sus ojos, right? Mm. Because it was basically the only really big stadium that still had that essential seventies open bow aura. So yeah, you'd be a part of um, Argentine film history if you guys were. 
Andres has got his hand up. Yeah, I, I have to mention also a big team in lower division like uh, Atlético Tucumán and especially Independiente Rivadavia de Mendoza uh, that uh, when I don't I don't know if Daniel Villa is still the president but when when he was there uh, he used to sign players that were not used in another big teams like for example Ogro Fabiani who who now is uh, is being used because uh, he finally signed divorce with uh, Victoria Banucci with with has nothing to do with football but he has never had to do with football so well he's interesting to follow on twitter yeah. i mean completely different to to any other uh well completely different to most of the other players and he absolutely never seems to tweet about football the others at least occasionally make a passing reference in between retweets of their girlfriends and whatnot uh, anyone have anything to add on that one? Next question, the final question, is from Alex, who says, are there any young coaches currently working in the Primera who you feel could progress to succeed in Europe? Um, outside the Primera, first of all, I'm going to pitch in the name of Matthias Almeida, um, who, as we said at the time, got a bit of a harsh deal towards the end of twenty. 12 when he was let go at River but is building himself back up at Banfield he's already proved himself I think now to be a talented manager at second division level um, and if he continues to be given the chance if Banfield don't kick him out a few months into their Primera tenure because they're surely coming up uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do at the Primera and Andres and Ilan both want to say things so who am I going to go for first let's go for Ilan's now pointing at English Dan so English Dan um, I think you could probably point to it's you know pretty early for them, but I've been encouraged by the start that the two big replacements of the um, of 2013 made. Uh, you had um, Jose Turo Flores in Vélez and um, Alfredo Verti in Newell's, who took over thankless job taken over from Martino, but still managed to get Newell's second in the um, in the initial. Now he's got um, a Lavadores and um, a championship to look forward to. So they're two tips of the future. Maybe not right now, but in a year, two years, they they could be following Pizzi and Martino. The thing I wonder about Berti is just the fact that Newell so visibly needed a striker in January and he decided to, uh, to strengthen the midfield further. It just seemed a bit weird. But yeah, I mean, you're completely right. His, his style and philosophy is, is clear and clearly a good thing. Uh, another name that I would throw in, which has just vanished from my head as I was about to say it. Um, give me a second. I was going to mention Diego Coca, who, who I thought he would be more successful than he is. He, I think he's a, a, actually on, in Defensa y Justicia, and he did a very, very good uh, job when he was at Godoy Cruz uh, de Mendoza. I think that Turu Flores was my first answer. He's really identified with Vélez. I don't know how will he do out of Vélez, but he worked with Gareca a long time, and I think he would do well. About Berti... I differ from what you think. I think that he, they tr Newell's tried to make the whole Tito Villanova of Pep Guardiola thing and it's not turning out very well. I think he's wasting a really, really good amount of players. And for at last, I want to say that a good coach in the future is going to be for sure Mauro Camoranesi and he's retiring at the end of, of this tournament so it's going to be about mid-year and I think he's going to do really, really well. He knows a lot. Uh, I was going to mention Guillermo Barroso Quilotto as well. It doesn't feel like he's new anymore, but he's still very young uh, in managerial terms and has a team that, that play attractive and, and stylish stuff and is developing it, you know, under relatively low pressure, let's say, given that he, he's not gone in and decided to, to manage Boca Juniors, which would have been an interesting way of beginning one's managerial career, even for a figure as legendary at the club as he is. This that you're going to hear now is Mystic Sam's music and the babbling that you're going to hear afterwards are Mystic Sam's fifth round predictions. Right, Mystic Sam's um, predictions... We've got a number of matches, of course, that are affected uh, this week by the Copa Libertadores um, matches being played. Uh, two last night, one tonight, and two on Thursday night for Argentine clubs. Um, but here we go. Godoy Cruz versus Gimnasia y Grima La Plata is a home win. I think Racing to beat all boys at home, mostly because it's all boys rather than because I think Racing are actually any good. 
Arsenal to claim an away victory against Argentinos Juniors. Vélez Sarsfield to beat Boca Juniors in the Jose Amafitani. Uh, Atletico Rafaela to pick themselves up from a 4-1 defeat and beat Belgrano at home. Rosario Central versus Colón and Olimpo de Lanús. Uh, Olimpo against Lanús, sorry. Um, to end in draws. Lanús are one of the clubs who are playing on Thursday night and then on Sunday afternoon, which is not a lot of preparation time. Uh, Tigre to get an away win over Quilmes, as the guys hinted at earlier. Uh, River Plate versus San Lorenzo. I'm going to finish all square. And Estudiantes versus Newell's Old Boys. Also to be a draw. Newell's again play on Thursday and then on Sunday. There are no Monday games this month, this this week, because next week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we've got another midweek round. So presumably, Handapod won't be recorded before then. We'll see if we can get one recorded on Monday. We might do. Dan, you wanted to say something about your experience of trying to predict matches. Yeah, I just want to say it's. Not as easy as it looks. Um, <laughs> because I make it look so easy, don't I? <laughs> it's even harder than that. Like um, With some guys at, at my work, we do um, a game which is like through the na- National Lottery, which is called the Prodi, which is basically you know predicting score, uh, predicting results, and they give you a few second division ones as well. The, the pools, basically. Yeah, similar to the pools. And out of 13, I managed last weekend a grand title of one. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a difficult time. Last weekend, I think Mystic Sam got, th- I think I got three last uh, for the weekend. Just got it. Might have been two, but I think it was three. I wasn't expecting there to be eight home victories. Of course, if I just write my previews and predict ten home wins, uh, I would have got eight out of ten. But I think my employers would have thought I was taking the piss a bit. But yeah, like uh, the uh, the recent double header from the beginning of last week, I got eight out of ten, followed by two out of ten for the midweek round. So it levelled out to fifty percent for the. Uh, for the week and even then I was quite pleased because 50% is a good average in Argentina Um, unfortunately my employers in Hong Kong don't always look at it like that they expect me to get 7 every week which bearing in mind I'm only allowed to predict results is I think a bit harsh but anyway Ilan well actually I think that Rivers and Lorenzo is going to kill me because I want both of the teams to lose (laughs) so a tie I think is a good call and you can never be secure when we're betting in racing Sometimes you get like the absolutely unexpected result being maybe a Racing win in a really, really hard match or Racing losing against like third division players. As I say, all boys being absolutely awful at the moment as much as anything is is what's led me to predict a Racing victory. But we shall see. All boys look deeply unconvincing in their win over Olimpo. Have we had another question? We've had one more question and we've just about got time to answer it. Jonathan Abdenur asks, who does each correspondent think will be the next team to win a treble in Argentine football? I'm not sure that's ever been done, so I don't think no about next team. I mean, the definition of a treble in Argentine football could be anything, because it could be yeah. two continental trophies in the league, or it could be two league to- titles in a Sud American. Yeah, it could be three consecutive titles, maybe. Yeah. If it Oh, right, if it means three consecutive titles. Let's... Assume that he might mean a uh, title, Copa Libertadores, and a Copa Argentina. I think we're going to be waiting a century before that happens. Bear in mind that no, no side has yet won the title that's played at the same time as the Libertadores and the Libertadores, so we've not even had a double uh, add in the Copa Argentina as well, which no one even takes that seriously of the big sides, um, and I think it's going to be difficult. Boca were very close to doing it. They played fi- final of Libertadores and they lost... Um, they won the Copa Argentina and they lost the tournament on the last couple of matches, I think. But if it's three consecutive titles, we might be like, it's an easier question to answer. Yeah, we're, we're mentioning the possibility that Jonathan means three consecutive titles because uh, in, in Spanish it would be the triple campeonato, wouldn't it? The, uh, which which would be three in a row rather than three different titles in, in one year or season. Um, the last side to do that would have been River, wouldn't they? I think. In 2004, 2003-4, sounds about right. That's something that Boca have never even done in their history. Um, so not something that's, that's easy. Racing did, obviously, six in a row, seven in a row in the 1910s. Seven in a row. Uh, starting 100 years ago, right? The first one was in 1914. Yeah. Or was that no, Kielmes' last one? Really, it, it was starting in 1913. It was nine titles, seven of which were consecutive and five of which were unbeaten. But if we were going to talk in professional football, because in Argentina the division is a bit more clear than in the UK. And the rest of Europe. No, it's not. It should be. 
Well, it, no, it shouldn't. It should I, 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 I disagree. It should be all the same, but here they don't take it as all the same. We were talking about the first uh, three championship. We would call it, it was 1949, 1950, 1951. There were long tournaments back then. And that was three in a row as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, in terms of three in a row, I think in, particularly given the uh, the various factors that we talk about every week with just the, the difficulty of, of attaining any kind of consistency, it's going to be a very long time before we see it happen. And also in terms of winning three trophies, three meaningful trophies anyway, the Super Copper and stuff is another matter altogether. Um, it's going to be a while. Anyway, that's your lot for Hand of Pod this week. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. Um, it's been very bizarre recording sober and so early in the day uh, but I've enjoyed it gents, maybe we'll do it again um, for now, thank you very much for listening and goodbye from Ilan, goodbye and welcome back to the podcast, uh, goodbye from English Dan, goodbye goodbye from Andres, goodbye and stay tuned, and goodbye from me, goodbye goodbye <laughs>